You cannot become the woman of God or the man of God that he wants you to be without the first two. Uh, it's like building blocks that go on top of each other. As little kids, we often want to become things. And so uh, let me ask you this morning, how many of you wanted to become a fireman when you were little? How many wanted to become a fireman? Okay. How many wanted to become a policeman? Policeman, astronaut, astronaut, nurse, nurse Barbie. Okay. Hopefully that's all ladies who raised their hands on that. Uh, and how many of you did not become what you thought you would become when you were eight years old? Okay. Uh, some of you probably did. But you know, it's pretty normal for us not to become what we thought we would become when we we're eight years old. But there is something that God has called you to become. And we're going to talk about that this morning. It's his calling on your life. A calling is like a purpose. And there are five reasons God has created you, five assignments, five missions, five rationales for your life. And we're going to get started in Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament. I believe that Romans chapter 8 may be in the top four or five of the most important chapters in all of Scripture. Yeah, that's just my opinion, but uh, I believe that this chapter is extremely significant. And we're going to read a couple of verses there as we get started this morning in Romans chapter 8. And we'll start in verse number 28. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, not everything that happens to us is good. But God, in his love, causes everything to work together for good for those who love him. And we are called according to his purpose. And we see in this verse and throughout Scripture that calling and purpose go hand in hand. Your calling in life is your purpose in life. Before you were ever born, God knew you. In fact, he thought you up. You were his idea. You are not an accident. He knew you in advance, and he called you to become like his son. And so the third purpose of my life is to become like Christ. I am called to become. So what does that mean? You're not going to be a God or, or be like a miniature of God. God is God, and I am not, okay? Uh, you've heard the phrase before, he's his father's son. Now, that doesn't mean that you become your father or you become your mother. It means you become like your father or like your mother. How many of you, somebody has ever said before about you that you are your father's son or your mother's daughter? Somebody said that before you about that? Okay, how many of you, you're nothing like your mom or your dad? Uh-huh, right, right. Now, some, some people really aren't. Some people really aren't. But then there are other people who they've said their whole lives, I don't want to be like my dad. And then when they get about my age, they realize, you kind of like your dad, right? And, or they don't want to be like your mom. So we say those things. But, you know, if your mom or your dad was a, a good, nice, uh, kind person and you wanted to be like them, then you became like them, maybe. And, and it, 
with us the same way we're talking about with God here this morning. God wants you to become godly. He wants you to take on the characteristics of his family, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. We know that God is loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind, and he's merciful and temperate. By the way, those are called the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is the perfect picture of Jesus Christ. If you're going to become like Jesus, it means to be filled with love and to be filled with joy and peace and patience and all those other qualities. And Scripture often compares becoming like Jesus to running a race. Now, it's the race of life. Life is not a dash, it's a marathon. And so we could call this the marathon to maturity. You're running this race right now. Hopefully your goal is to become the man or woman that God wants you to be. This morning we're going to look at the passages that compare life to a race, and we're going to compare becoming who God wants you to be to a race. And so we're going to draw out eight different principles from the passages uh, that talk about the, the race of life. And, and this is how you get to where God wants you to be. Your Father in Heaven doesn't want you to, to stay the same he wants, you to be in, he, he wants you to grow, and he wants you to begin to eat uh, what the New Testament calls meat. He doesn't want you to be in spiritual diapers your whole life. He wants you to grow up. Okay, and so we're going to give you these eight parts of this that are very important. We begin with this one, simplify my life. Simplify my life. I have to cut out and clean out and get rid of the junk that's cluttering my life and holding me back from becoming like Jesus. Clean out schedule and relationship and get rid of the unnecessary baggage. Look, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody run a marathon. You don't run a marathon in a parka. Okay? You, you don't wear nine layers of clothes to run a marathon. If you see somebody running a marathon, they only wear the bare necessities. Right? Shorts and a t-shirt and a very light pair of shoes. You don't want any extra baggage for the marathon. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll be there for a little while. We'll look at two verses in Hebrews 12. They compare life to a race. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 11 is this great chapter on people of faith. And Hebrews 12 says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So there are a lot of people who've gone before us who are up in the stands. They're up in the grandstands watching us. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now you have been given a particular race that only you can run. Your mom can't run it. Your dad can't run it. Your boyfriend can't run it. Somebody else can't run your race. And you can't run anybody else's race. You have a particular race that God wants you to run. Here's the problem. Lots of people want you to run their race. And there are people who have plans for your life too. Your parents wanted you to run the race a certain way. Your husband or your wife has an idea of how your race should be run. Your boss wants some input into how your race should be run. 
But you have to decide, whose race am I going to run? I can run my own race, or I can run the race somebody else wants me to run, or here's the best one, I can run the race that God created me to run. Now, you can't run all three. In fact, you can't even run two. You can't serve God and, and anything else at the same time. I can't do God's plan for my life and my plan at the same time. I can't do your plan and God's plan at the same time. You have to decide whose race you're going to run. That's the starting point. You have to say, God, I'm going to strip everything from my life, the sins that set me back, the weights that hold me back, the habits and the hurts and the hang-ups and the good things that aren't the best thing. I have to let it all go to follow Jesus. But to do this, I have to be upfront and honest with you about this. You're going to have to let go of some of the expectations because you can't please everybody else and please God. Okay? Did God put me on the earth to please my teacher or my girlfriend or my clique or my club or my fans or my peers or my partner or my parents? Or did God put me on the earth to please Him? And so to simplify is to let go of the weights and the sins and the expectations because I'm ready to become like Jesus. Now here's the second part. And this is very important. Don't get impatient. Right? Don't get impatient. This race is going to take your entire life. You're not going to finish in a week or a month or a year. God's plan to make you the person he wants you to be is a lifetime plan. Now, when you were in school, did anybody in here run track? Anybody in run, run track? Okay, some of you did. Uh, did anybody run long distance? Ran long distance, okay. Uh, so you, you're the people that uh, could run the, the marathons and the, the 5Ks and the 10Ks, right? Uh, if you're going to run the longer distances, you have to learn to pace yourself, all right? You can't start out too fast or you'll run out of steam or you have no kick to finish. And when I was probably about 13 years old, every year, uh, our church had what was called the Youth Olympics. And it, it may not have been big to anybody else, but it was big to us. Right? It was the hugest thing the whole summer, right? There was camp, and there's youth conference, and there was Youth Olympics. And if you really got involved in the Youth Olympics, then you were big stuff. And I remember uh, one year, because I only weighed like 75 pounds when I was in seventh grade, I was in the sit-up contest, and I did 60 sit-ups in one minute. And I, I, got, I got a ribbon. I got like third place. And that just made me so happy. And in the push-up competition, I failed miserably. Right? I just couldn't do that one. And, and so uh, th the, this particular year, uh, I entered into the race into the 440. Now, now it's called the 400 meters. But back then it was the 440 yards, and you had to go around the track. And uh, we, we got into our heat into our race uh, of all the guys who are my age. And you could just see kind of how it was going to go because here's how we were lined up. Here and here and here and here and here. Okay. Uh, so my legs were about as long as most of the other guys' arms. 
And, uh, and so uh, they actually had a gun, starting gun, and they did the starting gun, and I took off. I'm going to win this thing and get ahead of these guys quick. And I took off like a bullet, and I ran around that first uh, curve in, in the track, and I was moving, and I, I looked around. These guys are all behind me. Things are great. And I got back into the back stretch, you know, about halfway, and I'm running as fast as my little blonde hair will run. And actually, blonde hair doesn't run. It's just on your head, but it just makes the story. So, um, so I'm running, and I look back. I'm still on the lead. And then all of a sudden, this weird thing happened to my body. It's like it didn't work anymore. And my legs were just kind of like, you know, it's kind of like you're on rubber all of a sudden. And uh, all of a sudden, this guy passed me. And then another guy passed me. And then another guy passed me. And I looked around. There's only one guy left, and he's coming. All right? Now, he weighed at least three times as much as I did. Not putting him down, but he wasn't very fast. Okay? And he passed me. And we got around uh, the next curve, and I was just barely moving. And we got to that home stretch. And I remember, I'm going to beat at least somebody. I'm going to beat somebody. And we both were, were fighting as hard as we could, and we were going to win. And I'm telling you, it felt like we were moving in slow motion. I thought the race would never end. I was going as fast as I could, you know, just, and we both kind of stumbled at the finish line together. And they said, we can't even tell who won, but it doesn't matter because you guys are out. I never ran the 440 again. I'm done with the 440. All right, so for me, a 440 was long distance. Now, the 400 meters is, is a sprint. I mean, those guys run the 40, they run the whole track in 40 seconds. It's incredible what they do now. But if you ran track, you know that you can't start out too fast or you run out of steam. You have no kick to finish. When you become a Christian, you start growing really fast. Like a baby in the early months grows very fast. In fact, did you know that the average baby doubles in size the first year? Isn't that crazy? Doubles in size the first year. If you still grew that fast, you'd look pretty funny. Right? You'd take up a whole row at church, right? If you still doubled in size every year of your life. And, and so growth slows down. But it's stable over a period of time. God is not in a hurry, even if you are. When God wants to make a mushroom, he takes six hours. When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes 60 years. Now, which one do you want to be as a believer? Do you want to be an oak with deep roots that keep you stable through storms and pressures and problems? Or do you want to be a mushroom that can be knocked over by a squirrel? All right, so to, to do that, though, requires time. Life is not one big leap across the Grand Canyon. It's a series of baby steps, right? Baby step to church. Baby step in the offering. Baby step in my Bible reading. Yeah, these are... Great tips, baby steps, to quote that great theologian from What About Bob. Okay, take baby steps. Apparently there's no What About Bob people in here. It's just a long time ago, it's the 90s. And, but don't get in a hurry. 
And, and so this is a big one, to get your patience in order. Here's the next one. Spend time focusing on Jesus every day. Spend time focusing on Jesus every day. Look at this next verse. So we understand that we've got to lay aside this, the weights and sins. We've got to run with patience. Verse number 2, Hebrews 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I have to spend every day and time every day focusing on Jesus. Now, it probably won't be for hours, but it at least needs to be for minutes. And if you want to become like Jesus, you need to think about it. You actually become like whoever you spend the most time with. Right? You ever seen the, those birthday cards like at Cracker Barrel? with the old people who've been married for 50 or 60 years, and they start to look like each other? I think those are the craziest cards. They're so funny. You, apparently, you guys have never seen them, or you just don't like my humor. And if that's okay, too. But, <clears throat> but they've been married for so long that they start to look exactly like each other. And it, that's kind of how it is. When we have this marriage relationship with Jesus Christ, and we begin to be like him, we spend time with him. You know, if you hang with people who have no ambition and just want to sit on the couch and play video games, you probably won't have much ambition. If you hang with people who are critical, you'll end up being critical. I, this is a great quote. I love this quote. You can't soar with the eagles if you're running with the turkeys. Right? You, so you can't soar with the eagles if you're running with the turkeys. And there, there might be some people in your life that you're going to have to spend less time with. And you need to spend more time with Jesus. Now, some people call this a quiet time. And I don't care when you do it each day. Many people think mornings is the best. But you read some of God's word and, and you talk to God about the things in your heart. And you listen for the Spirit's whispers. And you ask, God, is there anything you want to say to me? And you sit quietly. It's a quiet time. And it could be, this might be in your life, maybe God's never spoken to you because you've never been quiet long enough. You've got the radio on or some other noise. And if the devil gives you a thought, that's a temptation. If God gives you a thought, that's inspiration. And those are God's whispers for your life. And so I recommend that your place for a quiet time is consistent and private where you can pray out loud to God. Jesus liked to go to a place in the Mount of Olives. It was his usual spot. You need to choose a place where you meet God every day. Our culture is always looking for a quick fix. They're looking for the one thing that will take away our problems and our fears instantly. And there are new self-help books that come out all the time that say this is the cure for your life. This will fix you. And we're looking for that one book and that one message and that one pill. Yeah, I remember years ago, I read this thing that if you wore magnets 
on certain places in your body that all of a sudden you're going to drop 80 pounds. Like, whoa, this could be groundbreaking. I started to read up on it, and you had to go for a procedure and down in the south somewhere, and they would uh, install the magnets somewhere. I don't even remember where it was. And those magnets would all of a sudden be this cure-all for everything in your life. How many of you have found that the cure-all pill, book, medicine, whatever it is, that it's never a cure-all? You still have problems, right? That magic diet pill, it wasn't that magic, right? Uh, that magic self-help book, it sounded really great, but it didn't fix all your problems. That, that book on how marriage is supposed to work did not make your marriage a slice of heaven all on its own. Okay? It required some other outside work. Yeah, life does not happen in an instant. There are instant mashed potatoes and there's instant coffee, but there's no instant spiritual maturity. We have to renew a focus on Jesus every day, even if we messed up the day before. And when you spend time with God, you begin to reflect his qualities more and more. And people can tell that person's been with God. Here's another one that's so important. When it gets hard, remember the reward. When it gets hard, remember the reward. <clears throat> if God's going to make you like Jesus, here's the blunt truth. You're going to have to go through the things Jesus went through. But were there times when Jesus was lonely? Yes. Were there times when he was criticized? Yeah, there were. And were there times when he was betrayed? Yeah, and there were times when he was worn out with fatigue and had to keep going. At times when he was misunderstood. Here's the thing. If God didn't spare his own son from these things, why do you think he would spare you? He won't. God is using your situation and your circumstance to make you like Christ. And instead of asking why when problems come into your life, you need to ask what. God, what do you want me to learn from this situation? Instead of asking God, why did you bring this into my life? Ask him, what could I learn from it? Jesus was made complete through suffering, Scripture says. And we're going to learn the same way. Look down at verse number 2 again. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And so, Jesus had problems, and he went through those problems. And our time on earth is not the easy stage. That's in eternity when there's no more sorrow or suffering. Right now, you're going to have all kinds of problems, and you shouldn't be surprised by that. And there are a lot of uh, prosperity gospel people who are out there preaching that once you become a child of God, you'll never have problems anymore. Oh, as long as you live on earth, you're going to have problems. Right? The easy time for the Christian 
is when we get to heaven. You know, on this earth, that's where all our character development happens. And when life gets hard, we need to remember the rewards. Jesus endured, we just read, because he knew the reward was on the other side of the cross. We have short-term problems on earth for long-term glory in heaven. So life is hard. This isn't heaven. This is earth. Everything this planet is broken by sin. And even though there are pleasures and happy times and some joys that we have, at times when things are going great, as a general rule, life is hard. And you're going through the school of character development so that you can have rewards for all eternity. Romans 8 says that as God's children, we get to share in his treasures, in his glory. But if we're going to share in his glory, we also have to share in his sufferings. The Apostle Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And there are a lot of people who want victory in Jesus and they want the powerful God to work in their life, but they don't want to go through any sufferings. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to go through some sufferings. And so we have to remember the reward. Here's another powerful example in Scripture, though. Gather a team to run with me. Gather a team to run with me. I said it's your race and nobody can run your, your race for you. But they can run with you. People can support you in your race. At various stages of your life, you're going to need different people to run along with you. Uh, probably nobody's going to run your entire life with you. Okay? Even if you're married, there were likely years you didn't know that person. And so you have different people who are going to encourage and support you. If you don't have any support, it's going to be a lot harder to make it to the finish line because you're going to give up and you're going to get discouraged. There's an old proverb in Africa that says this. I like this proverb. It says this. To run fast, run by yourself. To run far, run with other people. Isn't that good? Uh, to run fast, run by yourself. To run far, run with other people. Now, you don't need a hundred people running with you. That's too many. You may not even need ten people to run with you. But you do need three or four. And you're running with them and they're running with you and you're supporting each other. If you look back a couple of chapters in Hebrews chapter 10, just back a page maybe in your Bible there, look at Hebrews 10 verse number 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, the closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, the more we need to help and support each other. The more we need to encourage and pray for each other. The more we need to be around each other for the glory of God. And so you need to get somebody who can run with you. Here's the next thing, though. This is important as well. Remember God is cheering me 
at every stage. Remember that God is cheering me at every stage. Some people have the mistaken idea that God only smiles at you when you do things right. Or once you've reached the finish line, or once you've reached maturity, then God will like you. But until then, no way. Now look, I can't tell you how wrong that is. It's just impossibly dead wrong. And nobody shames a baby for not knowing how to read. Right? We don't go in the nursery and say, you dumb baby, you can't read this book. Uh, what's your problem? Hey, crazy baby. Okay, nobody shames a, a nine-year-old for not knowing how to drive a car. Yeah, we know what's appropriate for that stage of grace, uh, that stage of growth. When, a, when our four-year-old daughter draws me a picture, you know, I look at that picture and I think, that is perfect. Now, nobody's saying it's a Picasso, but, but it's perfect for that stage of development. And when she brings me a note, and she's got letters all over the thing, and I ask her, what does that say? And she always gives me some answer of what it says. Oh, okay. And then she brings me another note, and she'll draw words on it. And the other day, she came home, and she was drawing me notes on the floor in her room. So I was sitting there waiting for her next, to draw the next note. And I looked down, and she wrote the word October. And I looked, like, that is weird. That is the biggest coincidence of letters I've ever seen. So I had her come upstairs, and I said, okay, <clears throat> what the note you just wrote me, can you write it again? And she writes it again, O-C-T-O-B-E-R. Like, that is so weird. And so her teacher in school, shout out to Judy. I mean, crazy, isn't that crazy? A four-year-old just writing that October. It's like she took a middle picture of it or something. It's her greatest accomplishment in life so far. But, you know, we, we know what to expect from people at different ages. And we understand that there are stages of development. And could I tell you that God smiles at you at every stage of your development? God smiles at you. You're already okay in his eyes because Jesus died for you. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And one of the major reasons people don't become who God designs them to be is shame. Instead of admitting that we don't have it all together, we spend our time and energy pretending that we do. Faking it. Wearing a mask. Pretending. Acting like we have it all together. And I hate to shock you, but everybody already knows that you don't have it together. Okay, you're the only one who doesn't know it. God knows it, and your friends know it, and your kids know it. And when you start living a real life, you could take all the energy that you were using to pretend and convert it into energy toward becoming like Jesus. Because you can either become what God wants you to be, or you can pretend you have everything figured out. But you don't have the energy to do both. By the way, if you think, I don't need help, then you're the one who really does need help. Everybody needs to grow. I love the passage in Philippians 3. 
turn over there with me. Philippians 3, and this is a passage where Paul is addressing the reality of his life. Because even though he had been called to be an apostle, he was a guy who was just like all the rest of us. He had problems. And here's what he said in Philippians chapter 3, at verse number 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. So he says, I got problems just like you. But I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Look what he says in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. So he says, I, I'm not as far along as I want to be. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. So this is another example of a race. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, one day, I'm going to be the man God wants me to be, but I'm still not there. I'm still not as I should be, but my past is past. I can't change it. And I'm going to reach toward the prize of becoming like Jesus. And God is cheering us on at every stage of life. Have you ever watched one of your kids run a race at school? Let me ask you this. At what point in the race did you start cheering her on? Was it when she crossed the finish line? No, it's the moment she started the race. And at every stage, right? You had your kid, and when your kid uh, sat up for the first time, some of you ladies got the baby book out. Like, write it in. It's right there. She sat up for the first time. She rolled over, right? Uh, she slept through the night. Oh, she crawled for the first time. She stood up by herself. She took a step with no help. She did a poopy in the potty. That was like the loudest cheer ever. Right? And then she did poopies in the potty all the time. And she wore big girl pants. And then she started to, to run all over the house like crazy. And uh, Brandon and Anna were telling me Dylan is a wild child now. He's just all over the place, just running. And, and then they want to start learning how to ride bikes. And it just gets crazy. And, and we cheer them on at every stage. And, you know, if you're a parent or if you're around children, you cheer at every stage no matter how good it is. You remember that when the show American Idol first came on? And there were people on there uh, who were the worst singers in human history. And it's just horrible. And I remember one of the judges said to one of them, excuse me, but who told you you could sing? And uh, my mama, my mama told me I could sing. And it's like, you can't, okay? Your mama told you wrong. But why? Because mama loves you. And mama thinks that everything you do is perfect. And there are a lot of people who, who would say, if nobody else cheered me on, my mom would still cheer me on, right? Or my dad would still cheer me on. Can I tell you this? If nobody else cheers you on, God still cheers you on. And he thinks your voice is the most beautiful voice ever when you raise it to him. 
And he thinks that every tear you've ever dropped is precious. And he thinks that everything about you is wonderful because he made you who you are. And you may have a hang-up with how you're made, but he doesn't have any hang-up with it. God is cheering you on right now. And he's waiting for you to, he's not going to wait for you to finish before he starts cheering. He's going to cheer you on now. If you're at that race and your kid stumbles or falls behind, does that make you cheer less? No, that makes you cheer more. Get back up. It's okay. And God cheers for you even more when you stumble. I know you can do it. You're better than this. I believe in you. I sent my son to die for you. I love having you as my child. Come on, you can do it. And so listen, don't project an unpleasable parent onto God. All right? You may have grown up with a mom or a dad that no matter what you did, it wasn't good enough. That's not God. God is cheering you on every moment. If you don't get anything else from the message today, I hope you get this. God is cheering for you as you run through this race of life. And I hope you won't forget that truth. But then let's talk about this. Take every step with purpose. Take every step with purpose. Anybody who trains for the Olympics gives up an enormous amount of things to be a winner. All right? You don't see anybody who sits on the couch and eats bags of Cheetos for four years and then goes to the Olympics. It just doesn't happen. Right? They have to give up uh, certain things. They eat a certain way. They go to bed at a certain time. They work out a certain time, number of times a day. They don't do certain things. And listen, if we're going to follow God, we have to deny ourselves of some things. Okay? You can't just tack on God's purpose to what you want to do with your life. You have to choose your way or his way. I want to look at a great passage about the race in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 may have the most complete picture of the race anywhere in Scripture. And it's evident from this passage that Paul had either witnessed the original Olympics in Greece or that he had had someone as an eyewitness who had told him what it was like. It's a beautiful picture of the race. 1 Corinthians 9, in verse number 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. It means he has self-control. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. So Paul said, I'm not just out there shadow boxing. There's a real enemy. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul says, listen, I'm way beyond shadow boxing. If I'm going to take a punch, I'm going to make sure it lands. I'm not just going to beat the air. I'm not wasting my time. I'm going to make contact when I punch. 
If I'm going to take a step, I want it to have a purpose and a direction. That's how you get to the finish line. And in this race, you may have stumbled. I think we all run with some type of a limp in the race. Maybe it's an emotional limp. Could be a relational limp. Maybe you have a physical limp or a spiritual limp or a financial limp. There are all kinds of limps. We all run life with the limp. You know, having a limp doesn't mean that you can't finish the race. And thank God for that, right? I love the quote that I heard once. I'm not the man I should be, but praise God I'm not the man I used to be. You just keep moving in the race. A limp doesn't end your race. If your heart's still beating, your race is not over. It's never too late to get back up and get in the race. And so make sure you take every step with purpose. And I want to close with this powerful thought. Realize that what I don't finish, God will. What I don't finish, God will. I was created to become like Christ. But you know, if I don't get there, and none of us will in this life, if there are still some remaining issues left, I have the assurance that God is going to complete the character development in my life. He is the author and finisher of our faith, as we saw in Hebrews. And God will bring my story to completion. I love this promise in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And what a day that's going to be when salvation is completed and when I become like Christ. I love the promise in 1 John 3, verse 2. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be transformed. All weaknesses gone. All limbs gone. All, all fears and faults gone. All failures and frailties gone. And there will come a day when we will completely reflect the glory of God. What I don't finish in this lifetime, God is going to finish. Yesterday we were driving uh, over the blues, coming back into town, and, and it was kind of some snow, a little starting to be some snow up there. And uh, we got finally got over, and we got into Baker City, and, and I got a little gas. And as we got back in the car, just when we were pulling back out of the truck stop, I got a text uh, from my dad. And it told a uh, text to me and all my sisters that their pastor, uh, for a very long time, for many years, had passed away and gone to heaven. And uh, so I showed it to my wife, and we talked a little bit about it. And uh, our pastor, when we were growing up, his name was Jim Vineyard, and he uh, had been in the Green Berets and had, had done ministry in various places, and he was a rough customer, I'm telling you. And people sometimes, it just cracks me up. There are people who have left our church before who have said, I left because the pastor was a dictator. And I just want to laugh because the church environment where I grew up 
was just so much more strained than you could possibly imagine. And it literally was kind of dictatorial in some ways. And, uh, and when I was growing up, there was a portion of my life in my later teen years, in my early 20s, where I just had a really tedious relationship with uh, Jim Vineyard, who was the pastor. And, and uh, he said some things to me that, uh, you know, probably ended up making me a better person, but maybe not for the best motivation. Yeah, I mentioned in the first hour, he said to me once, he said, I'll give you two years and you'll be out of the ministry. Yeah, that's when I was about 20 or 21. And I determined that I was going to stay in the ministry longer than two years just to spite him. Okay? And, uh, and so uh, I went through by, you know, those, those years of my life kind of with some bitterness and anger because I had this impression for some reason, maybe it's how I grew up or kind of got this thought process that if you were a spiritual leader in a church, that you had to have it all together. Yeah, you needed to be perfect and you needed to have everything figured out. And you shouldn't ever say anything the wrong way. You shouldn't ever get angry at anybody or do anything wrong. And if you did, you kind of went down a notch. And, and, and then you looked for another leader who maybe didn't have any problems. And then you figured out that that leader had problems too. And then you looked for another one. And I don't know why that happened, through, but through my 20s and all the way through my 20s, kind of looking around to see people who had it all together and who had it all perfect. And here's what I figured out. None of us do. And I figured out really quickly as the pastor of a, a startup church at 25 years old that I did not have it together and that all my ideas were not right and that some of the things that I had learned were actually good. You know, you get to this point where you leave a, a ministry that's a little bit brutal on you and you kind of think everything there was bad. And what I've found over the last 20 years or so is that there were a lot of good things. And so when I, uh, when I got that text yesterday, I started to reflect a little bit about that, about Pastor Vineyard. One of the things that I thought of is, you know, there are a lot of people who've been influenced by him in spite of his problems, in spite of whatever weaknesses he has. And it's the miracle of God at work that in spite of our frailties, in spite of our problems, that God can still use us as human beings to reach people and shape people for his glory. It really is a miracle. And uh, I know when we get to heaven that we're all going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And who knows? Uh, my mansion may be down the street from Pastor Vineyard's. And we may be best friends and be t talking about the glory of God. Who knows? You know, there are a lot of times on this earth where we get sideways with people and we forget that we're going to spend all eternity with them. And sometimes God gives us a little insight into this and reminds us that he's shaping us the whole way through as we run the race. And that even when we pass into eternity... He's still going to shape us some more. And he's going to make us like him. And so when we ask this question, what on earth am I here for? Well, we've said so far, 
that I'm here to be loved. I'm here to be loved by God. That's why he made me above everything else. I'm here to belong to God's family. And I'm here to become like Jesus. And so as we close in prayer today, would you join me in asking God to shape you and to mold you and to make you to become like Jesus? Let's pray.